0: On ABC Radio,
1: this is The Big Fish
0: with Scott Levi.
1: Ahoy there, welcome aboard another episode of The Big Fish and a big, big fish this morning too. Coming up, some life-saving information for you that could save you and your crewmates with Rob Paxavanis from Fishing Australia, Mulloway Madness with the big man on the mid-north coast, the Waymaster and Stinker is back with Snub Nose Gars and Crossing Bars. All on the way, on the big fish. at negotiating bars. Not the type with beer, wine and spirits on sale. I know many a fisher person has come adrift in one of those bars. I'm talking about the bars that are the entrances to all of our safe launching spots up and down the east coast of New South Wales. Well, Rob Paxavanis has been uh, working hard to educate anglers. He's a very, very good fisher, fisherman and uh, someone who really does work hard on safety, and, and Paxi joins us on the line. Good morning, Rob.
0: Good good morning, Scotty. Sorry, sorry for laughing when you <laughs> did negotiating bars and come adrift. Oh, sorry, sorry. That's the first time I've laughed at your introduction, but okay. it is a it is a very important topic, uh, that's for sure. Well, so. Don't
1: worry. Many, many of our regulars on the big fish have been uh, found a, <laughs> a floundering on one of those bars <laughs> rather than the type we're talking about. But seriously, you've been working with New South Wales Maritime and, and uh, through your uh, fishing program, Fishing Australia, to try to educate people. Um, Naruma is, is your old stomping ground. Of course, you're up on the Sunshine Coast now, but what did you do at Narooma Bar that has been hailed as a, a great idea for teaching people?
0: Well, Naruma Bar, um, being so notorious Uh, you know, one of the most notorious bars on the East Coast and and in all of Australia, really. Um, It's a good example of bars that we have along the New South Wales coast and and right around Australia, where you have a a shallow lake-type inlet um, set up and then a rock wall's being built to try to get the boat, a safe passage for the boats as, as they go to sea. Um and in, in this episode we look at, you know, how to navigate bars and and it it applies to every bar, you know, along New South Wales and right around Australia. You know, that the, the because the rules are very, very much the same. Um we we planned to look at Naruma Bar. Uh in the morning we went there, um we were working with Shane Murtag from um he's a boating safety officer who uh who uh you know works for New South Wales Maritime and we 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 went down there and we did what I normally do and I have a, I have a I have a checklist before I cross any bar, and usually I have a look the day before. Okay, I always check the tides. I want to know when the tide's running out because of course the waves stand up if the tide turns. I always check the weather, but one of my rituals um, is to walk along the bar before the before we go out. Now the, the reason I do that is, you know, Narooma Bar is, is is an absolute classic for this, where for, for bringing people unstuck. You know, they travel down from Sydney, from Canberra, or up from Victoria. They've got all the game gear, you know, in in the boat. They're excited. The kings or the yellowfin or the bluefin are on, or the marlin are on. You know, they sort of arrive the night before. Early the next morning, they're putting all their gear in the boat, they're fueled up, they've got everything ready to go. They've checked the weather, but they haven't walked out on the bar and they're normally hovering around that bar getting ready to go out just as day breaks. You know, in this uh, particular instance, we we walked out on the bar and had a look first, like we always do, and there was a soury swell coming in. So sitting in the bar looking at the waves, you couldn't see these two, two and a half meter, even three meter um, barrels rolling in from the southeast, and they just pop up occasionally. So we went and stood on the bar for 10 to 15 minutes and we watched those waves and if, if you were just sitting in a boat waiting to go out, it really, really was Russian roulette because you're completely unaware that there's a lull for a while and then you couldn't see these big rollers coming in and uh, it, it's basically running the gauntlet. Of, it's like Russian roulette. So standing on the bar first up, allowed us to go, Oh, you know what? This is a bit hectic today. We can't... It looks calm, looking out from the bar, from the boat level, but I often duck around to the right at the Numera bar and head out that way, and if we just got the timing wrong, swamped. Absolutely swamped, you know what I mean? And that's that's how dangerous this bar can be, even for someone who does a lot of bar crossing. So you've got to walk out on the bar and have a look each morning. Um, in fact, I was uh, impressed by Rocky at Bermagui later, he won't let his boats go out the commercial fleet. He won't let them go out before daybreak. He always likes to look at the bar, regardless of the forecast. So what happened on that morning is, um, uh, just as we got there, a couple of boats had already gone and got out. Okay, and and a bit lucky to be honest. The adventure boat that um you know does wave riding and wave jumping and all that stuff. He was he was out there milling around. A small boat came along, looking to go out the bar, and the Maritime actually instructed them to turn around and go back. Now I, I was I I would just say about there's a 99% chance that the three guys on this four and a half to five metre tinny with a little 40 50 horsepower on the back um, would have the it, it would have yeah they would have copped it. Yeah, you
2: know? mm. there's
0: three guys in the water, right? Fishing gear tangled up in fishing gear. They had their life jackets on, which was good to see. Tangled up in fishing gear, you know, by the time the rescue guys got out there, we all know what can happen. You know, the best of us, you know what I mean? The best of us, swimmers, surfers, whatever, can easily get bashed up against those rocks. It really, really is dangerous. And there's been so many fatalities on that bar. So my first golden rule is we're all excited to go fishing, but take a walk on the bar, have a look what the actual waves are doing. This morning's a classic example. The, the waves are well below a metre and a half, probably closer to a metre, okay? But there's a big northerly kicking in. So you, you could go out this morning, 7, 8 o'clock. It's probably okay. I, I, I'm not there right at the moment in rumor, but I would I would definitely go out on the bar and have a look first. The problem is you must check the forecast. By, by about 10 o'clock, a northerly of 25 knots is kicking in, and that's going to make getting back in the bar really hard. I haven't checked the tide yet but I know on top of that if the tide turns you're going to have waves standing up like crazy. So today's a no-go. It's a no-brainer. What we did, okay? Check the weather, walk out on the bar, have a look, um check what's coming with the weather, not just what's happening. Check when the tides running out. And you know what? We decided Naruma's no-go. We towed our boat for half an hour just down to Vermeguy, okay? Vermeguy uh, protected from the subtly swell that we had on this day, I'm talking about. Um, it, it's it's not even classified as a because It's a deep harbour. We still we still walked out on the rocks and had a look, and we got out safely. So there's always options. Now, if you couldn't have got out through Bermagui Harbour, go fishing in Murgonger Inlet for big flathead or jewy, or go fishing in Bermagui um, up the river for flathead and and blackfish and all that other fantastic fish that we catch. You know, don't. Don't risk your life going out through that bar. You know, it's just... It, bar crossings are the single most important... or single most dangerous part of boating, you know. Uh, it's where you're going to come unstuck on your way in or way out. So, yeah. you know, that's these are the things we... These are the the things we looked
1: at, Scotty, and you know a lot of bars up and down the Oh, look, I've I've been in every one. I've been kicked out of every one. Um, (laughs) It's the big fish with Rob Paxavanas from Fishing Australia talking about bar crossings, and you talk about going up Wagonga and not risking the Narooma Bar. Um, Yeah. It's interesting because uh, dear old Brian Snapper Pratt, who everyone loved around Canberra and the south coast, one of our greatest fishing writers, one of our greatest fishing thinkers and conservationists, and I, I really miss him. But he would yeah. often laugh about catching more fish in the estuaries of the south coast around his Bermagui caravan than uh, the, the people who went outside anyway. So, uh, you know, oh. there were plenty of fish to be caught without risking your life. Uh, and Rob, I was trying to think of safe places and nowhere safe in a big se- swell. But, gee, we have very limited deep water launching sites for, for ocean fishing on the, the New South Wales coast, you, you think of Eden um, down yeah. on the South coast. I mean, it's, it's a great Harbor that, that was at one stage uh, Bateman and others were trying to sell that as the capital, you know, as the Sydney. Um, and yeah. it could, it could have been, you think of Sydney Harbor, you think of Botany Bay, uh, yeah. you know, in George's river, you think of the Hawkesbury and Broken Bay. Um, even there, you know, I, now I live in that part of the world, you'll go out through half tide rocks and through the channel and out into Broken Bay. And, and, uh, just big seas, there's a bar there. It's very deep, but all of a sudden it can break uh, even there. Even Port Stevens across the, the, those giant headlands, you know, there's a very deep water port and the home of the game fleet. But uh, even there in a huge swell, it'll start to ramp up between uh, those giant sentinel mountains, the, the old volcanoes. Then from there up, they're really, I can't think of a safe deep water harbour everything's a bar everything's a yep. a river mouth or an estuary that's letting out with with sand and i've surfed in so many of those spots from marimbula to um tweed heads you know that yeah. you can actually yep. catch waves on on not really big days uh in those bars and it runs hard too so you yep. sort of kept getting pushed into the waves i mean it, they're just treacherous aren't they they're just so dangerous what are the some of the some of the stories that you've heard about people who've come to grief on bars
0: Probably one of the biggest ones, those shallower bars you're talking about, and that can be just a normal sort of metre, metre and a half of swell. As a rule, I don't like to go out across a shallow um, estuary bar uh, and anything bigger than about 1.2 at the absolute most. And that means combined swell and sea. So you could have an easterly swell and a southeasterly easterly swell, and they might be 0.9 each. But when they combine, suddenly they pop up to a metre and a half. And then you've got to watch the sea, which is caused by the, the wind. So you've got to know how to look at all that. And um and you know, I don't go out on a combined sea or swell or anything about one point two. But there's a there's a lot of other factors to consider, especially on those shallower bars. Now what happens is uh, where a lot of people come unstuck on the on those shallow ones like um you know, like I'm thinking of the ones that, um, at um at, at Tarth or at Marimbula, um, you know, just you, you your shallow estuary bar, not the ones with the big rock wall so much. You go out and, and there's there 's dozens of these right along the coast um, you you the channel can change, so you 're coming in uh you know and it 's low light or you 're going out when it's low light which which i don 't like to be honest, I like to go when I can see the channel If you miss that channel by a little bit of it 's moved and your motor hits the bottom, you come disabled so suddenly you 've lost power and losing power when you 've got even meter waves rolling around is no good because suddenly you your boat gets rolled on a sandbar and it's it 's not pretty okay besides losing gear and, and damaging your boat and all that sort of stuff, you run a real risk of getting severely hurt and and and, and, and possibly drowning. Okay. So, you know, people think, hey, this is shallow bar or a big boat off I go. No, running out of power is no good for any boat. You you suddenly you, you can't go where you want to go. The boat gets pushed up on an awkward position on the sand and gets rolled over. So you need to go the day before or or even earlier and and look and know where the channel is for that bar okay you you need to know that if the if the clouds come over or the the light levels drop or it gets a bit choppy you might not be able to see the bar so well you can't rely on GPS trackers and those shallow skinny narrow bars because they they move and the track changes so you just got to be super careful um you know cross, cross over on an incoming tide make sure you've got plenty of water on the way back as well so, you really know where the channel is, and really be extra cautious on those shallow ones on the on the deeper ones um you know people sometimes think, "Oh, the swell's right up, but the wind's dropped out once I get out through the bar i'm I'm sweet out there, and it can be can be beautiful out at sea in a big swell if the wind's dropped out. The problem is that energy from those waves as they approach the shoreline can be phenomenal, okay What people have got to understand is there's a lot of draw from those waves. Now I went out uh, one day on a jet ski, which is capable of doing you know 110 k an hour. I went out with one of the Coast Guard guys and another friend, and we were we weren't fishing, we were we were surfing and looking around and having knowing that we had a big swell and and no fishing gear, so a completely different scenario. Now a a, a boat went out, a, a tinny which is about five and a half meters, had a hundred horsepower tiller on the on back, so a pretty quick a pretty quick boat. They we only saw them on the way in. Now. On the way in, these big waves were, were rolling in. They did the right thing. They sat in between the waves, even on the back of the the one in front of them. The problem is these waves were that big. And as those waves come across shallow water, they got a really big suck backwards on them. And the wave actually caught these guys. I mean, that boat's capable of doing 35, 40k an hour, maybe more. Okay? You'd think you'd have plenty of sting to get in and, and, and beat those waves. It got sucked up and rolled, and they did a big news story. And luckily, no one was hurt. So, when the swell's big, it, you've got to, you've got to really, really be super careful. You know what I mean? It, we just don't go out fishing when the swell's big like that. You know, the very first thing you should do is not put yourself in that position. And that the skipper's responsible for that if he's taking you out. And I think. Um, Encourage passengers to check the weather and stuff as well, and 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 you know, and and be be mindful of that, and 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 don't go if you're a passenger and you think it's not safe, because you know, not skippers need experience. I, one thing I can say is for newcomers out there is, when you move to an area we plan to go fishing out of Narooma or burmagui where where which this episode is on, you want to go out across a year at least a dozen times with someone else first. You know, we're sold the new boat, but we're not. We're not taught how to use it, especially crossing bars, okay? It's very, very easy for someone to say, hey, here's what you do, um, but it's another thing to get out there and do it, you know, because the conditions are variable. That's why I filmed it. I've filmed a lot of bar crossing safety videos in the past. This is my absolute favourite one. It it showed so much. Um, So I encourage people to watch it this Sunday, but I'm going to say that, um, you know, don't put yourself in that position where you've got breaking waves like that that you have to cross. A is the first thing. Um, you know, sec- sec- second of all, get some, get some experience under your belt with someone else who's a reliable, reputable, um, cool-headed person that doesn't like taking risks, okay, to get you out first because you, you, that way you're going to learn the right way. Now, for the gung-ho people out there, especially the youngsters, it's one thing to be you and a mate uh, and you know um rolling over in a tinny um you know with no fishing gear on and you've got your wetsuit and your life jacket on it's a whole another thing if you've got fishing gear on board that you can get tangled in or get injured by or get knocked out by and it's a whole nother thing if you're a you're a strong swimmer and you end up in the water with three or four of your mates or family, God forbid, and you have to pick which one to save it's It's not good you you you'll never recover. From That so, you need to be careful, you know. I, I, I've got to gather myself here, I'm getting emotional. It's bad, it, it, it's not good. No, and, it's, and it's this is it's supposed risky, to be mate. fun, isn't it? It's we supposed don't be need to be fun. Take those risks, you no,
1: know? no, exactly right. And it's sadly going to happen again and again. And you hear those, I know why you're upset, mate, because you, you know, you're out there in that element, you hear the story with a heartbroken dad it couldn't hang on to his son, you know, or oh. a heartbroken son who saw his dad go under, you know, and sometimes it can just happen. Sometimes it it can happen without can happen uh, a, any action. warning.
0: It, it can. It, you it know, can like the, by the, the by poor accident buggers accident. who got
1: hit by a, a whale the other day, but um, re- we really... We don't
0: want people not to live their lives. We want to know that bars are super... You've got to treat them with the utmost oh, respect. Oh, absolutely. It's That's... not something you're... You... You, you, you know, we're ticking a lot of things off here about wearing a life jacket, and knowing what to do. But yeah, you know, it's just, it's just, yeah, just like you know, we just want people to be super careful. Well,
1: just know? don't go. That's the the big yeah. message, isn't it? Just don't go for the, yep. the waves I are breaking don't... on that bar. And there's enough stuff now. Go to YouTube and type in bar crossings, and you'll see yep. The, the, yep. the million things that can go wrong and that go wrong every day. Um, thank goodness. Oftentimes, there's a surf club nearby, and yeah, um, yeah, our surf
0: know. guys do a great job. And, and, and again, for the people who are thinking of risking it, you, you also, you know, it's not just you. You know, if you go out on your own, it's not just you. The safety guys have got to come and get you, and that's, that's taking right. their time and resources off. That's right.
1: Else. You know, what
0: do we go fishing for, right? If you, if a couple of mates go fishing, we go fishing. To, All right, we're competitive and we want to challenge each other. We'll. Go for flathead in the estuary. If it's, if it's no good. You can still go fishing off the bank or in the lake or off the surf. You're not going to. That's when the beach is good. To see if, if you're stressed the whole time about coming back. No, over No, and the that's part. when
1: the beach is good, isn't it? When there's a bit of bit of swell, yep. getting the gutters working, bit of white water. That's uh, you know when you're going to catch lots of fish off the beach. Paxi, I can yep. see you're very very passionate about this, and good on you for getting the message across. If we save one of our big fish listeners at this time of the morning who was heading down to the bar and. They yep. take, take into account what you're saying, wait for the sun yep. to rise to have a good look and yep. uh, make sure they assess the risk. Then uh, we've done our job. Tight lines, buddy. We'll catch you on at Fishing Australia on the telly.
0: Yeah, and I look forward to chatting to something a little bit more uh, lighthearted. But um, yeah, take care of everybody and uh, enjoy your fishing. And there's there's no spot in New South Wales where you cannot fish you know, in, in the inlet or off the beach without risking your life out through the bar. So enjoy that. It's just as much fun um, catching them, trying to outfish your mate, and, and having fun. You're going to be, you're going to feel a whole lot better for it that you did the right thing.
1: Yes, yeah, so I, look, I get more fish in the estuary than the blokes do outside anyway. Most of the time, tight lines. <laughs> Rob Paxavanas. catch you next time on the Big Fish.
0: Yep, thank you very much, Scotty. Cheers, mate.
1: Coming up on The Big Fish, the Waymaster has had a massive session on the mighty Mulloway of the mid-north coast and stinker on bars and snub-noves gars, if you don't mind the alliteration. All coming up on The Big Fish.
2: The Jewfish sleeps tonight
1: Dogfish Dave and the Jewfish sleeps tonight on the big fish. Don't forget too, if you'd like to drop us a line, it's the bigfish at your You can ask an expert or send us a fishy photo. We'll believe you. But photographic evidence is quite useful as long as you don't have the long arms and the small fish pushed out towards the lens, but send them off to the bigfish at your.abc.net.au And don't forget, too, you can catch the podcast of The Big Fish at Your Leisure at the ABC Listen app. When fishing last Sunday and I caught a smelt
3: Put him in the pan, and the fire he felt Of all the smells I ever <laughs> smelt Well... I never smelt a smelt like that smelt. Smelt.
0: As the salmon swam up the river to spawn. Yeah. He said to himself with a great big yawn. Oh ho! The next time I come up this way, I'm
3: gonna make, make the trip, trip in, in a Chevrolet. Chevrolet. Oh
2: ho! Yeah.
0: On ABC Radio, it's The Big Fish with Scott Levi.
2: Here comes Stinker with his fishing
0: tips. Some hot advice for your fishing trip. Where to find them? What's the bait?
3: Are you catching any, mate?
1: Good morning, Stinker. <laughs> Good
3: day, Scott.
1: We've been talking about bars this morning, and I'm not talking about the type that serves beer, wine and spirits... Uh, what, what are the bars like in, in your neck of the woods up there at um, beautiful Tweed Heads?
3: Well, I can talk about both bars if you like.
1: <laughs> I bet you could. I bet you could.
3: Oh, up at Tweed Heads, well, it's got a record of, of far too many events trying to cross the bar here. It's quite a dangerous bar, but it's very inviting as are all the bars along our coast, because the fishermen know that once you get through that bar that you're going to get out onto the reefs and there's a big chance you're going to catch some fantastic fish. So the biggest trouble with bar crossing is that it's very enticing and very alluring. You think, you know, if only I can get through that next 50 metres of white water, then I'm sweet. Well, it doesn't always happen.
1: Have you been in that sort of situation, I mean, when the fish are really on?
3: Oh, well, see, yeah, yes. Um, a couple of times, really, I went through Brunswick Head. Oh, dear, I? that's like Russian roulette going through the Brunswick bar. And the Tweed Heads bar's bad enough, but I don't know whether anyone's ever noticed it or come up to this uh, entrance to the Tweed River, but there's a huge structure at the entrance to the Tweed River and it's designed to pump the sand which travels north from under Mm. so that it pumped it under the under the river so that it comes out onto the other side. And um, the surface it affects the surface of Duranbar and Snapper Rocks and Greenmount and Kira. And the sand, the extra sand um, impacts on those surfing spots in different ways. But probably the most, the hairiest time I ever tried to cross was at Corrumbin Creek. Now, Corrumbin's probably, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes north of here. It's in Queensland, uh, but it's easy to get to. And, of course, it's off Corrumbin that the fantastic schools of mackerel gather over the reef system. Well, I remember going with my mate there one morning. We left here at about 4 o'clock in the morning. So we arrived at Currumbin, of course, when it was pitch dark. And, and it was like a city. It When a little bit of colour started to come into the sky, you could see all these cars and trailers and boats. And I'm thinking, wow, I thought we were going to be the only ones here. <laughs> <laughs> it was... It was a city. So then everyone launched their boat in around about knee-deep water. And I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be something. And no, this is a long time ago. No life jackets. I can't remember anyone putting a life jacket on. And I certainly didn't. Anyway, uh, we're all in the water waiting and there's more and more colour coming into the sky and everyone's getting a bit agitated and then everyone starts kicking their motor over. Now, when you've got 20 or 30 boats with their motors going, you're thinking, you know, it's like the start of a Le Mans <laughs> race on Phillip Island or something. You know? And that's what it's like. That's exactly what it's like. And then one person, one guy, probably the most experienced or the craziest, one or the other, decided, time to go. Well, he heads straight out the sea, and it's so shallow. I don't know what it's like now. I haven't been up there for a while. But it was, you, you could just about wade. Well, you could. You could wade most of the way. And then, you gun it. You gun it. And you lift your motor up and go as fast as you can, And then once you hit the um, beach, instead of going straight out, because that's all sandbank, you've had to turn hard left and go parallel to the beach because that's where the channel was. So it seems a bit strange that here we are, before the sun's up, heading parallel along the beach in an effort to get out to sea. Well, we managed to get out. I don't know how the others went. But, of course, we caught some beautiful fish. But I, next time I was asked, I thought, oh, no, I'm a bit busy. I've got to mow the lawn
1: today. Yeah, I think, I think that's a wise move, Stika. So the, the mackerel fishermen were schooling as, as well as the mackerel offshore. And, yeah, it's not worth losing your life, isn't it? It's funny because I had a, a very interesting experience there uh, surfing at that exact spot off that little break wall over from Elephant Rock, I think they call it. And the waves, right. there were nice little waves peeling off that bank. Uh, in front of the creek, and I'm just sitting there waiting for the next one. And all of a sudden, I hear this engine gunning, but I couldn't see it over the top of the wave. And the next minute, I look up, and there's a 15 foot tinny with a 40 horsepower motor flying through the air like something out of the Dukes of Hazard. And then, <laughs> and then it crashed, crashed down, filled with water to the gunnels. The thing that I did notice was the carton of forex that broke open and all the beer cans bobbing around, and these four young blokes half-knocked silly um, floating around with it. And I, I'm right next to it. I was just sitting there peacefully having a surf on my 10-foot mouth. And I said, you're right. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was crazy. Absolutely. So shallow. So shallow.
3: Well, it, yeah. That, that. Well, see, there's another issue because it is a really good surfing spot. So when the surfers, are, you know, they've got a good right-hander and then someone comes shooting up to in their boats, well, it's going to, you know, it causes a bit, of fear, a fair bit of friction. But I, look, all of those. Um, I mean, in Port Stevens we're very, very lucky, very lucky. And I think you can get out to sea without any issues, probably ninety to ninety-five percent of the time. It's only those east coast lows that will close the port down, and you get that six or eight metre sea. Well, no one's going fishing in that anyway. But any other time. Um, you know, it's, it's a great trip out there. A, I must say, there's a big build-up of sand right in the middle of the harbour in Port Stephens, and that's going to cause an issue uh, unless nature w- washes the sand away. But sand is a massive issue, and I've just been uh, reading some problems that they've got over at uh, Hawks Nest and Tea Gardens on the northern side of Port Stephens, and they're getting choked over there. They're, uh, the Mile River is just jamming full of sand, which is going to close down a lot of industry because a lot of boats rely on that Mile River to go over to uh, visit hawk's nest and tea gardens.
1: Yeah, We're speaking with Stinker, it's the big fish and uh, sand, it's either too much or not enough where we see the erosion problems in the northern beaches of Sydney and Central Coast and the the, the southern end of Stockton, you're your famous beach, the longest beach on the East Coast, it's um, you know either not enough or, or, or too much. I, I think you're better off staying inside the estuary there uh, on the Tweed. There's a lot of good fishing there, although it's being loved to death, if you, as you've told us a few times. But uh, you love those big snub-nosed gar, don't you? They're, they're a really fun thing to target. Are they about?
3: They are, Scott. They are in really good numbers. They normally arrive in October. And my father, oh, it was, he had a punt, well, the punt still is, it's tied up down the backyard there, and uh, a flat bottom, everyone's got a flat bottom boat, because the Terranora Lake, and that's where you catch these beautiful garfish, is very shallow, with the same issues that we've just been discussing. It's getting shallower and shallower every year too, but over the weed banks, these Big garbage. I'm talking real big garbage. Not those skinny pencil things that with the um, beakies that come along the coast. But I wouldn't bother. You can't get a decent feed off them. But uh, these snub-nosed gar, which are like cricket stumps, I told <laughs> you before. They're like two of the cricket stumps. <laughs> and, and, I love that description. Actual, yeah, yeah. Well, the only thing they've made mates with the long toms, now, if you've ever hooked a long tom, you'll know very quickly that it's not a garfish. And it puts on a performance like they're an alligator gar, is what some people call them. But uh, they jump all over the place. And I haven't found a, a use for um, long toms yet. But never mind. There are others, that, and, and brim cause problems too. But there's a few tricks in catching these things, it's not as easy as you might seem. Firstly, you've got to go and anchor over the weed. That's where they are. They feast on the weed. Um, and so you anchor that. Now, you might only be in a metre and a half of water. That's all. You only need, You don't need any anchor rope at all. So there you are. You set yourself up. Then you're tossing a handful of breadcrumbs. Not bread, because that brings only... Um, Brim and seagulls. So, you don't want either of them. And, but the um, breadcrumbs, they float on the surface, a film of breadcrumbs on the surface, and you'll see the very distinctive, when the, it's very distinctive breaking the surface when the garfish arrive and they swim around. And if you stand up in the boat, especially if you've got Polaroid glass, you can see them quite plainly. And you can get very selective because you pick the biggest one, <laughs> and then you pull the bait in front of his nose, and he will take it. So you can be, you can really pick the big ones out.
1: What are you using, stinker? What are you throwing at them?
3: Well, you a cork. You have a cork, very light line, a, a, a probably two or three kilo line, and uh, then a hook about a number eight hook which is a very small hook and that's suspended half a meter under a cork or a little float and that's all you need there's there's nothing real fancy about that but now bait the best bait is a yabby tail now every yabby has a tail of course but you just don't use the tail you use segments of the yabby the head is is not the best bit but the tummy bit and the tail are two really, really good baits. And remember, your hook is very small. But also, there's little shrimps that get in the weed too. So if you have a net, a very fine mesh net, you can scoop it through the weed and up you'll come with all these little shrimps that jump around. Then all you've got to do is convince them to stay still <laughs> long enough, to put, which is hard to do to a shrimp, you know.
1: Yes, they're jumpy.
3: But, they don't listen to you. They, don't, they take no notice of them. And then, of course, they don't want the hook jammed in their backside either. I mean, that must be rather uncomfortable. I think it would be. Yeah. yeah, Well, there's the best bait. And then once you've got done that and the garfish have lined up at the back of your boat, it's a simple exercise of tossing in in amongst it. Well, then you'll see the cork or your little fly shoot along the surface. And that is a sure sign that a garfish has picked it up and he's swimming around. Now but go if your float goes down, you've got a problem because that's a brim. And and there's the big difference. You don't want brim. The last thing you want is brim. You're after these beautiful big gar. Now once they're caught and and you move the little thin rock bends and carries on. Kids love it. My my grandchildren, they think it's sensational. And then they bring the garfish into the boat and you drop them in an ice slurry so that they happily uh, snooze away in the ice slurry until you get them home. And then it's a simple case of uh, scaling them. And then with a very, very sharp, razor-sharp uh, whipping knife, you can lay it across their back and take a beautiful fillet off either side. And then you can do with that as you wish. But a crumb garfish fillet cooked in uh, peanut oil, oh, geez, hard to beat. A shame they're not about 10
4: times bigger,
1: really. <laughs> a beautiful, white, crispy flesh. Just a lovely fish to eat. And you must be close to their, their southern limit of their range.
3: Yeah, well, I don't know where are they are. I- Apart from this system, and I've asked on this program before, but i never got a response. Are they in the Clarence? Are they in the Evans River? Are they um, in Crumbin Creek? (laughs) Are they, you know, they? I don't know. But I know that around October, every year in this system, they come down in big numbers, and they have been for as long as I can remember. Um, I used to catch them when we lived at the Eukree Bar. Remember I told you the story of the Eukree Bar last week or the week before? We used to live there, but now the family have moved out onto the Terranora Lakes, uh, and they're there too. So everywhere that you find the weed banks, um, you will find these great big garfish. And gee there, son.
1: Seriously, I know that... you say cricket stumps, but what's the biggest one you've caught, you reckon? 40? Oh, oh
3: well, I, 250 grams, whatever that is. I don't know. I didn't
2: measure. it. But this
3: particular day, someone said, just weigh it and see what it weighs. So 250-gram um, garfish is a pretty solid sort of a garfish. Um, and they, and really, it, it's surprisingly what sort of a battle they do put up, especially with your two-kilo line and your number eight hawk. And your little whippy rod. I mean, you, you're having a ball, and um, and then you've got to pull them out of the water. And pulling them out of the water is is um, that's the most likely spot that they'll escape because with this little hook, um, anything can happen. But it's worth it just for the for the social experience. And so take all the kids. I don't fish. I just sit there and and <laughs> I'll put the bait on and I'll do the burley and I'll duck it as the hook as the cork comes flying through the air and <laughs> hit, hits
1: me on the top of the head and I don't complain you know? that's great fun <laughs> you and, put and, up with all that. and a really nice feed for the kids too they're lovely little beautiful fish when you fry them up in the, the, the peanut oil as you say it's a nice hot oil you get that crispy crunchy with the snow white flesh and lovely texture they're a, a really great eating fish and yeah wow 40 centimetres I mean that's a m- much bigger than even the biggest gar, isn't it with the beak down south
3: Oh, yeah, like they sea, sea gar that come along the beach. You get the occasional big one, um, but most of them are, are medium-sized. Uh, but they're beautiful to eat too, don't worry. I mean, they can be butterflied by anyone who's good at it and take out the backbone, and, and uh, you've got a beautiful, beautiful... Fish. Garfish are beautiful fish to eat. They've got a really... Um, a different taste from most other fish but it's a lovely t- a lovely fish seafood taste. So give it a try um, but uh, you've got to be very patient because they're not very big fish.
1: No, the visual aspect of it's great too. You see them, as you say, with the Polaroid, swarming on the surface and you can uh, see them swallow the bait and, and they're hard to hook and then they leap and great to eat. Everything about that is such a, a fun thing to do and you don't risk your life on that bar stinker.
3: that's right. Well, also, Scott, of course, with the yabbies that we've pumped and these heaps and heaps of yabbies, it's incredible how many yabbies. It's wonderful uh, to see because it's a reflection of the health of the system. But then we go up to a sort of a number four hook um, with a tiny, tiny piece in there around about a metre from the hook and then you toss that out onto the when the tide starts coming over the sandbanks and wacko, these will crack us, whiting. Oh, gee, they're beautiful whiting. You know, 38 to 40 centimetre whiting. Absolutely beautiful fish.
1: Oh, fabulous stuff, Stinker. You're making us all pretty excited about this weekend's fishing. Tight lines, buddy. Here we are, Scott. It's the big fish now, man on the mid-north coast, Cole the Waymaster, Trennaman. Caught a lovely mulloway last week. Perfect eating size, around fifteen kilos, bit over a metre long, off the beach. So in the safety and comfort of standing on the sand or sitting in his his chair and and having a a quiet cup of tea while the while waiting for the line to move. Although you're a bit more active than that on the beach, aren't you? Uh,
4: morning, Scotty. Morning, listener. Yes, sir, I am, mate. I'm, uh, I'm a little, I, I usually take only take one rod. Right. I hold it in my hand, and unless my back gets sore, then I throw it in the rod right holder. But most of the time. Ninety percent of the time I, I I usually hold the rod and fish with
1: it, yeah. Yeah, fair enough too. I bet you've missed a few fish when you've left it in the the rocket launcher and uh, you know, been mucking around and, and down it goes and off it comes. So it's it's yeah. better to be able to, to feel it and strike it, isn't it? You know straight away what it is sometimes too, don't you?
4: That's correct, mate, yes. Although this fellow I wasn't real sure of. I uh the tide was high at about ten to seven. And uh, I had two spots in mind that I wanted to fish. But One was affected really badly by wet redweed. And the other one, had uh, you could see it out the back, but it wasn't in the gutter itself. So I had a uh, I walked down into there, and I just sort of, it was about half past six I got down to it. And like I said, the high tide was 10 to 7. And I said, oh, I'll just have a cast in here, This looks really good in here. And you wouldn't believe it. I, put a, I still had the backpack on, and I put a bit of bonito on me, hook rig, and I threw it out. And uh, within 20 seconds, the, the, it came back towards me. I thought, oh, the waves picked it up because it was a bit of, a bit boisterous. And I wound up on as I wound up, and she come tight and started peeling line off.
1: Well, there's a classic <laughs> classic example why it's better to have the rod in your hand because that fish could have kept kept swimming swimming to the in in and then dropped it because you used to them That's run. They, they can go either way, can't they? We're speaking with the waymaster Cole Treneman from the Mid North Coast, and I said, Oh, where did you catch this jew? He said, on the beach. And In I think well, that really narrows things down because he fishes between uh, Tari and uh, Coffs Harbour, you know, between Lauriton and Nambucca Heads. Uh, there's, there's about 500 miles of sand there, but it, it's all the same, isn't it, really? These, these big fish are on the beaches everywhere on the mid-north coast. You've just got to pick the right gutter, pick the right bait, pick the right tide, and take us through all of those processes. Well,
4: it was two days prior to that, it was... Um Two days prior to that, I was down in the in the same area. I was in that, the first, this is on South Beach, At uh, I'll, I'll let everybody know, South Beach or Dunbogan Beach.
1: Oh, wow, you're getting soft in your old age. You used to never give away your secret spots.
4: I know, mate, but uh, I think it's been discovered since then. But uh, I went down there on the Monday morning because I couldn't sleep, and I got up at stupid o'clock, which I think is about 4.00 for three thirty, one one of the two, and I went down, and I thought, I'll oh, just duck down quickly before breakfast and see if there's anything there, well, I ended up getting probably eight or nine fish around that 70 to 80 mark, and I put a limit on myself, I won't keep them under 90, because I'm only allowed one fish, and I don't see the sense in, in taking a small fish, But and don't get me wrong, people don't I don't want the lettuce, but... Uh, a 70 centimetre and 80 centimetre fish is probably a big fish for some people, but to me it's small. So I've I've, I've got a knack of getting them in and letting them go quickly, and they survive because um, I'm using slightly heavier gear. And uh, I think out of that one spot over the last six weeks I've been fishing it, I think I have pulled three fish. I think a 92, 97, and that fellow that one the other, oh well, that was in the next hole. But yeah, that that one about a metre, I think it went a metre nine or a metre ten or something like that.
1: So they're definitely school, schooling up. And what brings them into the into the gutter? And and what sort of gutter do you pick?
4: Uh, like I said, I don't mind fishing if it's a teardrop. Like so, it comes straight in from the east and it teardrops, or in from the northeast or southeast. As long as it's got it, there's a hole. The second one I fished was not a gutter per se; it was a hole with a uh, a gutter that ran out to the southeast. So it's sort of they came in under the cover of. Uh, they come in on into the gutter, they come in underneath all that foamy water that's going across it. Feed in the hole because there might be some worms or crabs or little bait fish sitting up there <clears throat> that they can get hold of. Because that you know that's why do fish stink. You know that smell. That's what they use to, to track the worms up.
1: I never knew that they've got that distinctive sort of that really uh, just, uh, aroma, having an ammonia type yeah. aroma. That, that so they. Use that, that smell to, to bring the worms up and then they grab it.
4: And that's why you, they don't have big, they've got little pointy, sharp teeth like grabbing teeth. And what they do is they usually get it, wrap it, run, roll it, roll it, And they, they're, they're fairly, they're very good at getting worms out of the sand, let me tell you.
1: Wow, they're, they're pretty quick. They must strike with, uh, in the blink of an eye. So were you using a worm, a bit of tail, or what was your bait? No,
4: I had a bit of bonito on. On, on the Monday morning, I was using uh, worms. And I, like I said, I got six or seven of these little fellas. Oh, sorry, those ones between, say, around 70 to 80 centimetres. And I let them all go. And then I pulled the hook on about a better fish. And I thought, oh, well, there's something a bit better here. And I was I had plans to go down that evening, but it didn't eventuate. And the next morning I had jobs to do, so I couldn't get down there until the Wednesday afternoon. And that sort of had a little lull. There was just a little bit of a nor'easter blow, not too much. And like I said, the red weed had closed the hole out that I wanted to fish. So I went to the second one and I was only there, like I said, five minutes and I was walking back to the car with a Jew.
1: Ah, way to go, mate. This has got all of those Mullerway anglers on the mid-north coast salivating and it's just lovely that you can still tangle with them. Uh, obviously, the the limits are very strict. Uh, only one fish over 70 centimetres and, um, you know, letting them go to fight another day. And and the good thing is on the beach, they're usually pretty fresh. As long as you let them go quickly, there's plenty of oxygen in the water and, and no barotrauma. So... Uh, happy days. Good on your Treno. Tight lines, buddy.
4: No worries, champion. You have a good one.
1: Thanks for sharing the story of the mighty Mulloway off the beach.
4: No worries, mate.
2: Saturday is a very fine day to do a little work
3: in the yard. But when the sun is a shining away it makes the work too
2: hard. It makes the work too hard. Saturday is a very fine day to get my home So uh, let's
0: go fishing
3: instead of just a wishing. What do you say
1: we go away for a while? Dig those worms out of the side. Put them
0: in a can and go get a rod. Let's
1: go
2: fishing for a day and a half a mile.